Welcome to the Bleep Midlife Bulimia podcast with guest Di Manuel. Hi, everyone. I'm Lorianne. I'm the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia. And I'm really pleased to have today, I've got Di Manuel with me. And he likes to say he is a dad of teenage girls and he's been dating his wife for 21 years. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Lorianne. It's an honor. It really is an honor because also uh, from our, our, our previous conversation before you hit record, I understand I'm the first male. You on are. Show. I was like, <laughs> whoa, I had no idea. I feel really, uh, really honored uh, as well as very fortunate to, to, to have that uh, opportunity. So, so thank you. I'm just uh, really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm very pleased that you reached out. And for my listeners, it was Di that reached out and um, reading up, I'm very interesting. So uh, Di did have a bout with obesity when he was younger. And we'll expand on that later. But I did have a question because you wrote something really beautiful in the correspondence that said that my show shines a light on the dark, shady challenges that pop up in many of our lives from time to time. So I just want you to expand on that because I just love that line. Well... Let's put it this way. Uh, I always, you know, I think we all like metaphors or similes, you know, you know, because it helps paint that mental picture. Uh, and through those mental imagery, we, we can sometimes take the very complicated and sometimes the overwhelming and simplify it down into, a, uh, I was going to say, to almost like a bite-sized morsel that we can actually digest. We, we can interpret, we can look at it, we can, we just get a better grounding on it. And, and when I think about our lives, our lives are like a home, right? Like we are the architects, we are the general contractors, we are the ones that decide how we're going to decorate our lives, you know, the internal homes, if you will. And all of our homes are built on a foundation. And, and I will be someone that will argue vehemently that that, that foundation's health. And, and when I was referring to, to the dark spaces, you, you know, in our lives, in our homes, you know, if you'll play with me with that, that analogy or metaphor, I, we often have in our homes those little corners in a room <laughs> that, that it's funny, but, you know, the vacuum cleaner never seems to reach those corners. <laughs> you know, we, we, we often like to put a plant or a pot, or, or maybe sometimes a piece of furniture that doesn't have to be moved in that corner. So we can in a way, kind of ignore it. And I like to encourage people that, you know, those corners, if we neglect them, they, they never go away. They're, they're still there. You go into that room, you know, it's there. Yet we choose to sort of turn our eyes. So every once in a while, I, and as challenging as it may be, it's nice to take the things out of the corner, grab a flashlight and shine it there to at least just see what's there. And, and, you know, some people might refer to that, like looking in the mirror and really just getting honest with oneself. But for us to recognize that there's things in our life that aren't serving us, it's limiting our ability to be happy, to be fulfilled, to feel joy in our lives, like authentically feel it. I'm not talking just like, oh, if I think myself happy, I'll be happy. Well, yeah, I guess. But I mean, really feel throughout your entire being happy, joy, fulfillment. We have to recognize that some of these things in our lives limit us. And it doesn't, you know, ignoring it doesn't mean it's going to get better. It just doesn't. I, and I know this really well because uh, trust me, I've had my fair bouts of challenges with morbid obesity as a teen, uh, getting diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune disease. Uh, on top of that, you know, working in a career that I wasn't satisfied. And then I'm ultimately getting to a point where I stopped 
consuming alcohol and narcotics 11 years ago, made a really big lifestyle change. Like I get change is hard, but it's almost every single time been worth it. And so that's what I wanted to bring up. You know, the, the, the nature of your show, especially the, you're shining a light into those corners and it, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it is so worth it because in doing that, there's that sort of general acceptance of, okay, this is me. This is my life. This is where I'm at right now. But if I don't want it to be like this, I know I need to make some changes, but I at least know where to focus my attention. Does that make sense? Like, does that sort of resonate? Like it's, yeah. Absolutely. And I yeah. think that part of that whole thing about the corner is not just shining light on it, but, you know, slowly sweeping it out. Yes. <laughs> if you don't, if you notice, I mean, I have pets, right? So if oh, I yeah. have too. <laughs> a table somewhere and I move it and I sweep it, I put it back. That's where all the fur piles up. Yeah. So, and the dirt, strangely, and you're thinking, I don't walk there, but dirt piles up behind it. Mm. I just feel that if you don't yeah. at least remove some of it, it will keep piling up. And I know this for myself. I retained a lot inside bulimia being a bad part of it because what it does mm. is it gets you to dumb yourself by eating your emotions. And then, mm. you know, you release them at the same time. So you eat them and release them, which is, you know, not healthy or anything, but it was a, a coping mechanism. Right. But it, the dirt never went away. You think it does, but mm. it doesn't. It's just a cover up. So you can sort of see how that metaphor plays out. And, and I mean, I think it can apply to almost any sort of areas in our life. There are so many things in our lives that we get really good at tolerating that create discomfort, create pain, create sadness. And yet we just tolerate and put up with it until we can't. And I think if you look at, you know, what you shared with me, Lorianne, about your story that spans 40 years but especially the last 10 years, you said you got to a point where, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts. Relapse wasn't even an option. Like it's, it's not even a decision. It wasn't even a, a consideration. But I'm curious, what brought you to that moment where you realize I got a nail here and I'm pulling it out? <laughs> you know, I'm like changing my situation. So this is no longer going to be a nuisance or an ag aggravation. It's like you just refuse to accept it. You know, like what, what, what happened? I'm, I'm just super curious, you know, like what was that, that, that created that shift in you? I think there were two things. First of all, I always bring up the fact that my sister came in one day, I was staying with her. I'd lost everything I had in my own business and everything went, and you would think mm. that would be the hardest time to, mm. <laughs> to recover. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say everything because what I lost was all, um, you know, materialistic stuff, but it was a lot. I mean, that was my whole plan on retiring. But when I ended up doing that, I realized the support around me. So my sister, I was staying with her and she said, you know, I heard you. I heard you in the washroom. And she goes, mm. I just hope that you stop because I love you so much. And I just, you know, know I'm here for you. Uh, but nothing, you know, judgmental or anything. It was not even you yeah. have to stop. It was that. And the other thing, funny enough, talking about a mirror. And I looked at myself mm. in the mirror after she spoke to me about that. And you brought you know, that rememory, as I say, to my mind. Mm. I remember looking in the yeah. mirror and going, first, you look awful. I mean, I'm talking about not the way I looked on the external, but on the internal. I just, I wasn't mm. looking well. I wasn't looking oh. healthy. And although from the outside, people would think I was on the inside. Mm -hmm. I and I thought, time to get healthy. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's, it, but it's, 
when you make that decision internally, especially, right? Like it's, it's, it's like you feel the decision. Like it's, it's one thing I think because we always are making very surface level decisions, right? We do every day. Like we're just, we're sort of on autopilot a lot of the time, you know, and, uh, and rightly so. I mean, we have a lot of stuff happening in our lives. There's a lot of dynamic moving parts. It's just, that's life. And, but it's recognizing some of those automatic tendencies, getting to that point where we can actually acknowledge them and say, yeesh, this is a habit that's not helping my situation. Mm-hmm. And, and then being able to really come to a conclusion or a decision to take an action very, very specifically, right? Like it's, it's interesting, right? We get to that point where it's like, okay, well, I know I've been doing this. I'm not gonna do that anymore. And on top of that, I'm going to stop that. And I'm going to start doing this. And I, and I think, you know, and, and I know this sounds a little cheesy, almost cliche, but it, it's getting to that period or, or place of, of radical self-acceptance, right? Like that, that loving ourselves enough to say enough's enough, you know, like just enough's enough. Like I'm not going to, because we would never wish what we've experienced on anybody. We wouldn't, right? And yet we're so quick to accept it if it's our own issue. Right? <laughs> it's like, where does this compute? This doesn't add up, you know? And, uh, but it's not easy to get to that place. It it's interesting so you bring hard. that up, though, because you're yeah. saying that we wouldn't want to wish it on anyone. But part of this, and, and I believe with any eating disorder in general, mm-hmm. there is some self-sabotage in there. So, right. And when you're talking about that, it's like you might be angry at somebody, but you don't want to tell them. So you're mm. so you take it on yourself and you're hurting yourself. Yes. You wouldn't want your daughter to do that to her. No. Rather, her no. say, mom, you pissed me off and as much as it bothers you. At least it's, it's, you know, it's spoken, it's out there, you communicate it and move on. Yes. Yes. Turn around because you're saying that you went through that, you know, all of what you Mm. went through and the job that you didn't like. And all of a sudden, you know, decided to make a change. What made you make that change? (laughs) Well, similarly to what you experienced, you know, with the mirror. And I think it's really interesting, you know, just mirrors. Like, like I even think about, well, Steve Jobs, you know, they, they, there's, he brought it up. If people haven't had a chance, it's, it's a really powerful talk. And just to give you some context, you know, Steve Jobs passed from, you know, the founder of Apple, he passed uh, from pancreatic cancer. And, and when he was first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, obviously there's a lot of things that we go through when we're, we receive that kind of, of, of news, you know, relating to our health. And, and so he focused on getting well, you know, he sort of took a step back from the day to day so he could focus on his health, focus on him. And, and then he went into remission. And I think a lot of people aren't aware that he did actually go into remission, which isn't common with pancreatic cancer. And the only reason why this is really near and dear to me is my father passed from pancreatic cancer. And similarly, he went into remission the first time around. And, and, it, and it's an interesting to see people's perspective, how it shifts to go from, oh my goodness, to, okay, things are okay right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe things will be better, you know? And, and it's a, it, and as they say, a second life. And, so here you have Steve Jobs that's in remission, and he's asked to give the, the graduation address to, to Stanford University. And it, it's available on YouTube. It's a beautiful talk, uh, very inspiring. And, but he shares in that one section where he talks about a daily morning ritual he has. And this morning ritual involves him, you know, while he's preparing himself for his day, uh, he, he looks himself in the mirror and he asks a question. You know, the thing I'm about to do today if this was my last day on earth, would I want to be doing what I'm about to do? And he goes on to say that if my answer was no, 
more than a couple of days in a row, I knew I had to make some changes. And I always loved that because it really encaptured sort of what I experienced as that morbidly obese teenager. You know, I, I remember being at my dad's place and my, my parents had separated. So we'd see my dad every other weekend and my brother and I would go there and, 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 and spend a couple nights with them. And, and we always looked forward to that. And here I was having a shower because we had to, to, to go out and, and have a Saturday out and about. And, but he was rushing me. And I used to have this amazing uh, strategy or a, a hack where I would go into the shower and I would turn the heat on and I'd get it really hot. I wouldn't turn on the fan because all that condensation and steam would fog up the, the mirror. So when I would get out of the shower, I would not have to look at my reflection. Like back then, I, I, there, there's very few photos of me when I was at my heaviest because I avoided social situations. I avoided like the plague, yeah. uh, anything that would involve me having to be seen. Like yeah. it, it, it's just, and I'm sure you can relate to this and people that are listening can probably relate to this. Like it's, it was very real for me. You know, just the, those voices and the self-sabotage. I mean, everything, right? It was just felt hard. And here I am 14 years old and, and this is how I'm already limiting myself. And, but this morning, that morning, you know, my dad was rushing. So I got out of the shower. I'm starting to towel off and out of the peripheral, I could see my reflection. And I don't know why. I don't, I really don't know. still to this day, but I, I turned and I locked eyes. And then I started doing the scan. Scanning down to my chest down to my belly and then back up by the time I got back to my, my, my face and look at myself in the eyes again, you know, I needed to towel off again because I had just been ugly sobbing, like just uncontrollable emotions flowing. Like, and I don't, I mean, there's only been a couple of times in my life I've experienced that kind of just overwhelm of emotion. And yes, it was a bit cathartic, a cathartic, cathartic, you know what I mean? It was somewhat healing to, to just release that. But at the same time, I got to a point where, you know, my mind was filled with ideas like, man, it would just be so much easier just not to be here. Like, I hate this person I'm looking at. Like, I hate him. But the thing was, and I knew I was saying I hate myself, but more so is because I allowed myself to get there. And man, it was such a weird feeling because up to that point, you know, my parents were very supportive. Friends were supportive. Like, they knew I was hurting and they would always come, hey, and my, my parents, we'll get you a dietitian, we'll get you a personal trainer, get you a membership, you know, maybe they, they were always about trying to push me to go and do things that would be healthy for me. And every time that happened, I felt like it was a personal attack. I was like, no, and I would act out. And I just wasn't what, because I was very that mirror, my reflection, I, I got to a point where I was like, you know what, it's been five years of putting weight on. If I'm really honest with myself. And I start thinking I got five years before I'm 20. If I keep doing what I'm doing, I know it's not going to be easier than it is right now. It's only going to get harder. And so I was like, am I okay with that? Because I don't, if I'm truly okay with it, I'm okay with who I am. It, it doesn't really matter. Like I should just be fine. But I knew that wasn't an option. And so I started thinking, you know, I'm more afraid right now of a future of me staying the same. That was what scared me the most. And what I realized is as intimidated as I was of the idea of change and not knowing what to do or how to do it or how would I get healthy, that was less scary than the idea of staying as I was. And so that's when I decided to make a change. I came out of that bathroom and I went and spoke to my wife. Of course, I got clothed and I went and talked to my dad. And I was like, dad, I don't want to be like this anymore. 
You know, I want to change. I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. I, I'm, I, I want, that's what I want. And, and my dad must've seen something in my eyes. Cause it, it, you know, it must've been music to his ears. Right. Cause up to that point, he, I mean, they were doing whatever they could to try to help me be healthier. They saw what I was experiencing and how I was just living life, you know, and they knew it was limited. I, I was limiting myself yeah. and they didn't want that. I mean, that, no parent wants that for their child. Right. And, and uh, so we went out and bought a mountain bike that day because I didn't want to do anything that would be public. I wanted something I could do by myself on my own, yeah. my own pace. And I just started cycling every day, you know, and I went to the library, I got books out on nutrition and on fitness and health. And so I started to educate myself. Uh, and then over time, it took 20 months, 20 months of being consistent of just trying to love on myself to make the changes. And, and it eventually got to that point where it just became a lifestyle. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. Yeah. I, I, I just didn't have to think about it. I just, I was doing, I was being, and, and it was, it was a great feeling to, to know that I helped the change along, you know, like I was the one creating the change where I think everything up to that point, I felt like I was just a victim of change, right? Like I just, I can't help it. It's happening. This is my life. It's not my fault. It's just, you know, it's just the, the cards have been dealt. So I got to play this out. And, uh, I realized, no, I don't have to be like that. I do not have to accept that this is how things are meant to be and I can make changes. And so that was the real first encounter with change. And, and I'm very grateful for it because I can tell you right now, would we be having this conversation if I didn't have that experience? No, 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 we wouldn't. Would I be alive today? Arguably, probably not. Uh, so yeah, it's a big that's deal. That's interesting yeah. what you said too. I love what you said that it, it was, it was you that made change. This is one thing that we talk about as well as we had discussed before. There's some people are struggling with bulimia. They don't want to let it go though for that fear mm. of the pain, for the fear of the gaining weight because it's become right. that, you know, comfort zone. But yeah. ultimately they could go for therapy, coaching, whatever. And unless mm. they are ready to make the change, because it does have to come from inside of you. Like you said, you felt pushed when, you know, they were saying we can, and they're doing that. Of yes. love. They're off. They are. I know. Right. Alternative, like it, but you're oh, going, go away. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to saying, Hey, you know, I'm ready. Then go, yeah, get, bring it on. <laughs> you know, I'm ready. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's tough though. Like it is tough. Yeah. I mean, like, not a day goes by that I don't often think about it though, yeah. you know, and I still catch myself, you know, like, especially when I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm overly stressed. I'm not doing the little daily practices that I know keep me in a really good mental health standpoint, like keeps me mentally healthy. If I'm not doing those little things like flossing our teeth, right? Like just, it's just general oral hygiene. <laughs> it's just what we do, but we go too many days without doing it. We, we know it starts to take a toll. And I, I know what my daily rituals are, the ones that keep me in a good space mentally, but that also leads into the physical and the emotional and the spiritual. And so I recognize everything really does start with my mind. Like I, I just, I know that. And, and so there's things I do to sort of reinforce those habits. But whenever we start slipping away from those things that we know provide us that sort of uplifting feeling, that feeling like, oh yeah, I do have some control here, you know? And because when you're in that place where you just don't feel like you're in control of anything, man, you'll lock on to anything. And I know for myself, drinking was one of those things. I'd lock on to drinking because I could control that. It was my decision. I could do that. And I know that it would create a very specific response that I was looking for. And it would alleviate some of the stress, some of the anxiety that I was feeling, gave me temporary relief in the moment. But 
you know, you wake up the next day and oh, I'm right back. The problems are all there again. You know, I, I didn't fix anything. And I just delayed the emotional connection with the challenges I was living through. And it's amazing how we find certain things. We lock onto those things, whether they're serving us or not, but yeah, you're right. It's just those conditioned ways of dealing with things that are creating the stress, the anxiety, the, the pain in our life, the dissatisfaction. And there's always a way around, but man, we get so focused on the immediate gratification of, of satisfaction of doing a certain action because yeah, we get very, that's our safe spot, right? Like, so that what you were hinting at, I can appreciate that you don't want to stop because then there's the fear of, if I stop that, well, all the things I've been working so hard to try to get rid of, I'm going to welcome back into my life. Yeah. And, but it's not necessarily true unless we make it true. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's so strange. We are strange people, aren't we? We like, are. Just, <laughs> so like, weird. What is that about? Yeah. <laughs> to one person, you know, we were on a, the other podcast that I co-host yeah. and I said, what is it about today? Like everything I see is about people feeling not good enough, uh, low self-esteem. And I said, I don't remember. And then, you know, I even talked to my mother and she goes, yeah, she says, I, you know, because I said, I love myself. It took a while to get there, but I really do. And when I look in the mirror now, I go, good morning, Lorianne. Like, how's that? And I always say, you know, I'm so glad you're here today. Um, <laughs> but, but I love you know, that. I love when, that. I think that is fantastic. It's great because I'm with me all the time. I even sit there and go, hey, Lorianne, look at, and I'll, I'll even talk to the little Lorianne, you know, look at, I, I came along, you know, I know you're worried about me for a while there, but I'm here now um, and I'm doing well, but uh, interesting, where was I going with this one um, about being worried? Yeah, not good enough. You know, I was asking, is it social media? Is it hmm. the fact that we see too much? And we can blame it on all that. But when I listened to my mother and as she said, you know, I felt good. But there were still people around her that were feeling the same things that we today feel. I think it's just that we're speaking out to it now. And social yes. media is letting us know that other people are speaking out to it. But I think it existed for a long time, personally, just like bulimia, believe it or not, did as well. Um, but it was not known. It wasn't as common because I think, you know, again, social, it was more like back then magazines and television made it more, mm -hmm. us more aware of it. Um, but I had an aunt and I've read articles of women and i mean she would have been 90 this year so you do the math when wow. she had her you know her bulimia was way before mine but nothing spoken to it right yeah but it's that's interesting you're, you're right because the, the information is so much more readily available now yeah and uh i mean there's the pros and cons of that is like well is it a trusted resource right like is this something that's really acting in my best interest, right? Like, and, and I think that's where I, I feel for a lot of people and I feel for myself too. Like, it's just, we get somewhat jaded. It's like, what to believe? Because, you know, when we start looking into it and especially when you start diving into psychology and, and some of the reasons, like how, how beliefs are formed, right? Like, especially, you know, something called uh, confirmation bias, where we just, you know, whatever we believe, we become very biased to some of those beliefs to the point that we'll only see the proof that validates it. Right. Like, so if we've, and, and, you know, this applies to even just those negative self-talks. Like I know, trust me at 14 years old, when I was my largest, I, I was like, you're disgusting. Yeah. You're fat. No one's going to like you, you know, like, 
And yeah, of course, I'd be looking left, right, and center for things to confirm that that was true. <laughs> to the point that sometimes I created the result to, in order to be able to say, see, I told you. Meanwhile, it's me, you know, not being a very nice person and then someone not liking me and then me blaming because I'm fat. That's why they act like that. No, it's because I was a dick. Okay. Like I was just an idiot, you know, and, and it wasn't because of my size. It was because of who I was as a person. And yet, you know, so when you start to really become aware, it's daunting. It's, it's a bit intimidating. It's, it's, it's revealing, (laughs) but it's a nice place to come from when, especially if you're around supportive people. And I think that's where the community piece is. When I think back to it, some of my biggest changes, especially more in my adult life, I've always had really good association, you know, like good communities, good people to get around. Um, and, and that's helped a lot, you know, like it's really, it's been that supportive rock that I've needed at times. Cause if you get around supportive, positive people, a byproduct is you're going to end up the same way, you know, but vice versa. I was going to say when I used to, vice versa, it it goes the opposite direction. And I, I seriously, I empathize with some people who they complain about this and that I can, I can empathize about their complaints, but I'm also a solution based person. So I will listen to you and I will give you, I will not give you because it's not for me to give them, but I'll suggest some solutions and hopes that you'll even find your own. Mm. If they refuse to do that after a while, I ultimately am honest enough to say, hey, you can't fix it, then stop complaining. (laughs) Either accept it or you fix it. If you can't fix it, you have to accept it. If you can fix it, do it. And I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, I can bring it right. up as, you know, one of my neighbors was complaining about the, the Canada geese outside our, our windows because we've got a nice little lake back there. Nice. And I thought, you know, I can fix the garbage issue about the raccoons getting into that because I can put it in a box mm. and put a lock on it. I can't help you with the sound of the geese. Mm. So please stop complaining about it. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what I'm trying to say, right? That's I like that. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and you're right. You're right. I mean, there, there is, I always equate it to like just saying something for the sake of saying it, but there's really yeah. no intentionality behind it yeah. other and than it's, for it's complaining, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's cloudy outside. Yeah. But guess what? You're alive and there's still stuff you can do while it's, it's cloudy. Out. So That's I right. tend to love being around people who are, uh, I don't, shun the people who are negatives but i tend not to hang around with them as much because it is and energetically you feel it uh when i'm yeah, around the yeah. positive people it's you know you can feel that too and it's exciting and fun mm. and i had a quick question for you too because you said then you had a career that you weren't happy with so this would have been once your your teenage years have come out of it obviously mm. um was the change being made when you realized you weren't happy in your career. Do you think that that change was easier having gone through what you went through when you were 14 or does it all, I'll tell you, well, and I am pretty open about this now, but I wasn't always. And, and I became very fixated at 15, you know, with getting healthy and fit, but the way I always went about doing it wasn't always the healthy way. You know, and, and I had, I wouldn't say an eating disorder per se, but I had an image disorder, (laughs) you know, like I 
very much was like all about putting on more mass, you know, getting bigger, but now bigger, not fat, but bigger, like getting more muscle, you know, getting fitter, being perceived as a strong man, you know, and, and I became very fixated on changing my exterior. And as far as internal growth is concerned, I really did nothing to focus on that area, you know, and that I carried into my twenties. You know, I, it's like I packed up a lot of that pain that I had experienced during those five years of gaining the weight and not really just dealing with any of the challenges that I was working through emotionally. And even though it manifested itself as putting on weight, because uh, that was how I coped with a lot of that was just eating, you know, playing video games, watching movies like that was it pretty much for five years, you know, and so uh now I became fixated on getting healthy and getting fit and being perceived a certain way. And uh, eventually I moved from Ontario to, to Vancouver at 18 and, and uh, thought, here's my opportunity to reinvent myself. What I realized was I brought a lot of that emotional baggage with me. And I still dealt with some social anxiety. I still dealt with stress. I, I had a hard time connecting with new people. But I realized that if I have a couple of drinks, wow, a lot of those challenges weren't a problem anymore. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, it just became just a way of who I, my being, I like, you know, I wanted to meet somebody new. Oh, let's go out and have a drink. You know, like that was what I did. Even at student union building, I meet somebody there. I'm like, Oh, you want to go to the pub? Let's go have a drink. You know, like that just became really simple. It felt like that was what I needed to do to meet people. And so, you know, all that compounds, you know, you create a real habit or a lifestyle around that. It just becomes very simple. And, you know, then I met my wife, started having kids early on. And in the meantime, I was building a, a company with a partner and I loved what I was doing, but things just kept getting harder. I think that's the easiest way to put it because of me, like, obviously because of me, like it wasn't the world saying, Oh, we're going to give you more too much to deal with here. No, no, no. It was me you know, just either taking on more than I could handle or trying to ignore those dark corners, put my other plant there, you know, like just let's avoid the challenges and just focus on the things that are going right. Focus on the things that other people form an opinion. And a lot of my decisions were ego-based, like just, very surface. Okay. And uh, very driven to, you know, yeah, I was chasing titles. I was chasing, Oh, I hope people think I'm successful. You know, like really my values were out of whack, you know? So a lot of the things I was doing wasn't in alignment with really what provided me a good feeling about myself and which would create more concerns and challenges. And, Oh, well, don't worry. I'll just drink a little bit more and be all good <laughs> and, until like, it's not. And, and my, you know, my kids were at four and six years of age at this point. And uh, my wife, man, she sat me down one day and, and I won't go into the full details, but we, we had a very lengthy discussion. I, I recently had a TEDx talk and, and during the TEDx talk, I, I talk a little bit about this this, this moment. So I'll, I'll leave that to do more of the storytelling aspect of that for people that want to check it out. But I, I got to a point, my wife asked me a question and her question to me was, Di, are you being the type of man you'd want your daughters to marry? And that question shifted everything for me, like literally everything. Like it was in that moment, all of a sudden I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, no. I am not role modeling the kind of man I would love for my daughters to potentially marry one day. Like more than that, like not even a man or a woman, like just 
human, <laughs> okay? Like I was not being the kind of human I would be happy for them to spend their life with. But I hadn't ever really accepted that until that moment. And I just, this, this, this moment in time, and I was just like, I made a decision and a commitment to them. I was going to go one year without drinking. You know, I made a commitment to myself more than anybody, yeah. uh, but also to them. Like, I'm going to go one year. And I remember my, my eldest daughter, six years old, she had a, a weak eye back then. And so she had these really strong prescription glasses. So like the Coke bottle glasses, right? Like yeah. she was like <laughs> these big eyes looking up from the couch and she's like, oh, so it, so no milk, uh, no, no, no pop. No, like, so she starts listing off all these drinks. Right. And I'm like, no, no, no adult drinks, you know? And, and, and so that was a bit of a chuckle and it sort of brought some, some, some levity to, to what was a very serious moment. Uh, but that's when I started, you know, to realize that I'd become highly functional. Like I functioned very well, under those circumstances. Like I just, I did, but now I took away the crutches, my coping mechanisms. And as soon as you take those away, you realize, Ooh, I got to learn to walk again. Mm -hmm. I've got a leg here that needs to be rehabbed. You know, like I need to strengthen some things here. And, and that was the first time I really started looking at the internal world for me. You know, the things that I had avoided, never done any really focused work. I was so good on professional development, you know, Developing myself so I can be seen as someone that's successful. I can achieve different accolades in my businesses. That was what it mattered to me, but it didn't really matter. It left me feeling empty. And again, just fed into the problem. So here I was, I made this decision, this commitment, and I realized I cannot do this on my own. Found a great psychologist, worked with him for four months. I found a, a wonderful relationships counselor. I worked with her for about four months. You know, I just really started doing a lot of internal discovery work trying to figure out who am I? What do I want? What makes me happy? What makes me feel fulfilled? What are the things I really want to be doing with my life? I got clarity on what really matters. And it was a wonderful experience. And, and it, you know, I got through that year and I had grown more in that one year than I had grown probably in the previous 15. Like honestly, and I was like 33 at the time when this was all happening 11 years ago. And, and, and that was a big, big change for me. And, and I realized I don't even want to have another drink. Like we got to the end of the year and we're like, oh, do I drink again? I'm like, no, I, I'm like, man, I've experienced this much amazing growth in one year. What happens if I go another year, another year, you know, now I'm like over 11 years, you know, and like, it's not even a choice. It's not even like, so that's why I resonated when you shared with me, you know, there was that time about 10 years ago where you just said like, it's not even an option. Like I'm not even considering that. There's just not even a choice. This is who I am now. And this is who I'm going to be. And, and sometimes we just have to let go of the idea of who we believe we are to start living as who we actually want to be. <laughs> and, that is and, perfectly yeah. said what you just said there. And there's too many yeah. people who don't understand that. Yeah. And for the people who sit there and go, because um, yeah, I, after I, I recovered from the bulimia, I would like my glass of wine and liked my glass of mm -hmm. wine. I started to like my glass of wine too much. And like yeah. you, I thought, well, <laughs> You know, it was more because I thought myself to be non-sociable when I was, because I really mm. didn't mind not being around people, but I thought, oh, but if I have a glass of wine, I want to be around people. And so I started to equate the mm. two, but it's nothing of that. It was just simply, Lorianne likes to have her time alone, but when I stop drinking, go out with people, I still like being around people. It's just that I have to realize it's a different type of thing. And when you just give it up, you go, you know what? I like wine today. And I don't need that stuff, but I keep thinking it was because you mentally have made yourself yes. like that.
just like the people who say, I'm bulimic, even when I have a period of recovery, I'm still bulimic. Well, if mm-hmm. you keep that in your mind, just like if you think, uh, you know, well, I don't know about alcoholism so much because I know there's different levels of it, but if sure. you've been a drinker and you sit there and go, but I'm not a drinker, I'm not mm-hmm. an, I'm not a bulimic. Then as you move forward in life, that's who you are and mm-hmm. you let go of it. Uh, yes. But if you keep thinking, I'll always be, yes, then it will be there forever. Yeah. So I love what you I said. agree. Well, thank you. It's, uh, I mean, again, it was more of an act of discovery than invention. Uh, it, it was, you know, just sort of riff on Simon Sinek and what he talks about, you know, discovering our why. I mean, it was, I, I really had to discover who I was again. And uh, in going through that process, I realized that the career I was on or the path I was on professionally was no longer satisfying, nor was it going to satisfy me. You know, like I, Sure, you can start thinking, well, if I change the way I work, maybe it will change my perceived value or what I believe is what I'm meant to be doing. And I just didn't feel it aligned with my purpose any longer. And it was scary because I had been at that company 17 years. I was one of the co-founders too. And and to get to a point where I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. Like I want to be with my family. I want to live life differently. I want to do different things. There's things I want to accomplish. And I know that being on this path, it's going to be real hard to do those things. And I had to make a choice. And fortunately for me, my wife was very supportive and, and very encouraging. And so, yeah, I, I left a career 17 years. A month after that, she quit her career. And, and oh, wow. three months after that, we pulled the kids out of school and we gave away all our stuff, <laughs> packed up the SUV and, and whatever didn't go in the SUV, put, we, we, we got rid of. And, uh, we just started traveling as a family, Fantastic. you know, we, we just, yeah, while well, it was pretty crazy, you know, a lot of people thought we were nuts, right? Like I was, yeah, like our lifestyle was very comfortable. Like we, yeah. it was, we had a very specific life and we worked really hard for that life. And, and, and then here we were saying, we don't want that anymore. We want something different. And, and I, and I, I feel a lot of people, because I was this person too, like you, you think about all these things that you'd like to do, but there's a part of us that just don't believe it possible. Yeah. Right. And we sort of, we discount it before we've even really given it a chance. And so it always becomes one of those things that oh, I really wish that I really wish I did that. You know, we often have this, this sort of sense of regret around things that we didn't do. And, and Bronnie Ware, who, who wrote the five regrets of the dying, you know, one of the, the top regrets of people when they die. And they, you know, she's surveyed hundreds upon thousands of people and, you know, people towards end of life, like, is there anything you regret not doing? And, and she cataloged these responses. And there was five that kept coming up. One of the ones, I wish I lived the life I wanted to live, not the life I believed others expected of me. Like that alone, you know, and, and that really sunk in, you know, and I was like, gosh, well, what's the life that I want for me, for my family? And, and yeah, we didn't know how to do it. We didn't know what we were doing, but it was okay because we were together. And when you start asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen? We already knew. It was like, well, we'll run into money. We won't be able to figure out a way to make money while we're doing it. And we'll have to come back. We'll probably have to live on a couch or two or <laughs> move back in with our parents for a bit. But we're employable. We know things will be okay. Absolutely. And when we wrestled through that, and when you really start to understand, when you ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Rarely does it ever happen. But if it does, it's nice to know, well, I'll be okay. You know, I'll be okay. We'll be okay. And so there we was, we, we went and we leaned into that and we only came back to Vancouver just before COVID and uh, 
we were away for five years, two and a half years was in Bali, Indonesia, (laughs) where we lived with the family and uh, we call it life schooling. You know, our kids were sort of learning as we went and, and uh, we came back to Vancouver so they could finish high school here. And, uh, but yeah, that's a whole nother story, but it's amazing what happens when we say, you know what? I, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to feel fulfilled. I deserve to feel joy in my life. Like we all deserve that. But when you get to that point where you say, I deserve that and you really accept it, no change is too daunting. It just isn't because you know, it's going to be okay. Deep down, we know it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fear, a lot of scary situations, a lot of intimidation, a lot of change brings that on, but you're going to be okay. You know, and, and, I think it's just a wonderful place to get, you know, and, and, and I believe it's accessible for everybody. And yeah, I know there'll be people that I can't do that. I'm like, well, if you've decided that you can't do that, you're probably right. That's it. That's on you. That's on you. I'm not saying it. Lorraine, you're not saying it. (laughs) It's like, no, you've said that you define your own future. Okay. And if that's the life you want, then you own that life, make it the best possible life of limitations that you can live. But listen, that's on you. You can change that if you want. And, and, I, and I think that's the biggest thing is that change is definitely doable. It's possible, you know? Um, but anyways, that, that's, I could go on and on about this stuff. Sorry, I start to ramble a little bit. I feel like the, the squirrel in that movie Up, or was it the dog? The dog, squirrel, you know, like <laughs> I sometimes get off on these tangents. So uh, anyways, oh, um, yeah. It was wonderful what you shared with the audience. I really, really thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I just want, uh, please let the listeners know, where can they find you? I know you're on TED Talk and, you know, where can they find you? And I, can they contact you? Yeah, of course. I, I love stuff. conversations. Well, first of all, Lorianne, for, I, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here. And uh, I love what you're doing, but I also love the fact that you're, you are quite literally shining a light on a very dark space for people. You know, when I say people, I'm talking about myself included, you know, maybe I didn't deal with bulimia per se, but I had my own challenges that were very similar, you know, and I think that's the thing about these, these challenges that some of us just endure, like the nail I talked about at the beginning, right? It's just learning that there is a way to pull the nail out. And sometimes it's encouraging content like you're producing that gives us the confidence that we can do it. And and so, so just want to say thank you for that. And I, I feel really honored to be here and. And as far as people having conversations, well, I love having conversations and uh, I'm easiest to get a hold of me through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Those are the three social media channels I'm most active on. I'm easy to find if you can spell my name, Di Manuel, D-A-I, then Manuel is a Portuguese last name, Welsh first name. I know I'm a, I'm a Canadian. That's all I say. I'm a Canadian. That's live with it, you know? Uh, but if you get that, um, diamondwell.com is my main website. And I've got 1800 articles on there now, all about helping people live a better life. That's all it is. I'm focused on lifestyle and enhancing and optimizing people's lives. So there's lots of content I've been producing now for 14 years on that platform. And, and, and I tell people it's a bit of a rabbit hole. So just be forewarned, you'll go there, you'll read an article. And next thing you know, you'll be reading three, four, five more. And, uh, but there's lots of free resources. You can message me directly from there or reach it on social. But I, I just love having conversations with people. And, uh, 
Yeah, please do if people are into it. Uh, the TEDx talk won't be released till till May 2021. Um, it's going through the vetting process by the TED committee. And uh, once it's been vetted and they've approved it, I, I'm looking forward to that getting out there because I talk about vulnerability as a man as well. And uh, the, the role vulnerability has played in my life and how it's really helped shape my life. But also I, I run men's groups. Uh, they're free for men to attend. And uh, they're, 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 we create a space where there's no judgments. You know, it's simply men coming together to support each other openly and honestly, uh, and, and not having any of those concerns uh, of sharing something that might be used against us, you know? Yeah. And so uh, that's been a big part of what I've been doing the last few years uh, as just a, a passion project. So uh, that's why the TED talk was so exciting for me was an opportunity to share sort of the, the things that uh, I, I've been doing that I've seen impact in my life, of course, uh, but also the lives of other men that have been coming to that community. So uh, yeah, that, that's it. Um, but I'm accessible. Just reach out anytime. Fantastic. And I really appreciate that. And just before you go, I really love the fact that you have a group for men and the vulnerability is that because I feel that there's so many women's groups and, you know, I'm very much what I call an equalist. I understand we both have different strengths and weaknesses, yes. but to come together. And for a while there, I think there was, you know, this uh, disassociation for men because women didn't like men only groups. Sorry for my listeners, right. but it's the truth. <laughs> Fair enough. And, oh, and yet man. women only groups would come around. And I felt that there was an imbalance there. So I'm really happy to hear that you do have that. I know that they're emerging more and yes. more now again. And I think yes. it's as important yeah. for women who have women groups for men to have the same as well. And I'm not talking about, you know, obviously there's the football team game. But there's also the need for the other side too. Um, well, as I so, joke, I always say there's, there's no drugs, no alcohol, no drama. Yeah, that's that's the the the, the nose of if you're going to show up for one of our groups, you know, like it's just come as yourself, be ready to 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 be open and honest, and just just create space to 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 be seen and to be heard, but also to hear and see others, you know, like and yes. sometimes we just that's all we need. That's all we need is just to know that there's other people that can say me too, exactly. you know, and uh, we're not so darn alone, you know, like gosh, we're, we're, there's so many of us that are struggling with the same stuff, but we just never share about it, so we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so uh anyways it's it's, it's been great having uh, this opportunity to have a conversation with you thank you i am so pleased i've had you thank you so much die take care okay. thank you bye-bye thank you for listening to this episode be sure to visit me at bleepbulimia.com